Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. We're speaking on the topic of our pagan society that we are in, and we've been looking at this for the last couple of weeks. Um, America has changed, society as a whole has changed, and we identified some of those changes a couple weeks back and looked at what it meant to be a pagan society um, and, and, and notice a shift from what it was to be in a secular humanist society. In a secular humanist society, some of the tenets by which they adhere to and hold to uh, can be uh, really a, a naturalistic philosophy, meaning that science is chief. So you look out into the world and what nature has and observes becomes part of what we have and observe. And also in, an, in a uh, secular human society, uh, there is a dedication to reason. So in some regards, there's a prize of free speech. Um, you know the danger about free speech? Somebody might have a better idea than you. Somebody might have a better idea than you. But if you're looking in the realm of, of reason, would you want the best ideas? And here's the thing. Secular humanism does not mean that you have a biblical worldview. Somebody might be able to articulate with secular humanism um, their position in lofty and convincing terms. That doesn't make it right, does it? No, because a biblical worldview is predicated on the Word of God. Sadly, sometimes Christians... Um, do not see the significant importance of being able to be definitive and to be exhaustive in one sense, in some sense comprehensive, to be able to to speak in a sense of a biblical worldview. Um, I, I know that we rest on the moralities and truths of the Word of God, but there's a place for each believer to sharpen their use of the Word of God. I think that's what you find in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, study to show thyself, spadadzo, give thyself to these things. Hone your sword, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But with the secular humanist, there's a dedication to reason and truth. And then also there's a pursuit of a consequential ethic system, meaning I'm going to do right because there's consequences and has to be consequences if wrong is engaged in. And so when you're in that secular humanist view, it, it attempts secular, it means non-biblical, it means uh, atheistic to a sense, but humanist means that, that they would hold to the idea that man should strive for the highest planes to which man can be. And then sometime in the last many years, maybe the last 30 or 40 years, there's been a cataclysmic shift into a paganist society that in many ways is the opposite of even a secular worldview. It's not just a generational shift. It's a hard change of gears. Uh, for one thing, you see that everything has to be deconstructed. There's a pursuit of oneness. Somebody sent me a message this week, said, I thought it was funny. It said, with a biblical worldview, there's only one thing that needs to be deconstructed. And then it had that little dot, dot, dot. It said, my pride. My pride needs to be deconstructed. I thought, that's pretty good. But in a paganist society, everything's got to be deconstructed. All is one. So the animals have the same rights as babies. In many regards, in certain areas, they have greater rights than the unborn. Uh, then there is the idea of a desire for spirituality but not divine truth. There's all kind of crazy spirituality that doesn't really make sense at all, and that is part in keeping with a pagan society. 
Uh, today, the favorite word is spiritual, but not religious. There's a progressive view of action, you know, empowerment, tolerance, affirmation, all of that has to be held to. And then there is a permeation of fantasy. This was the fourth one we looked at. And really, man, anything that he can devise, devise in his mind and heart, uh, he can engage in. Um, a secular humanist would not accept that because they would see something in nature of morality and immorality. But a paganist, because they see no distinction between the two, that's where you get the la-la land. That's where we find ourselves at this very time. And yet, our transition on this has been, what do you and I do? All right, so we're in or approaching the thick of it, of a paganist society. What do we do with it? And this brings us to our lesson for this week. Most of you probably had these filled out, but uh, our passage at the top kind of identifies where we're going to be, and that's Titus chapter 1 and verse 12 as a theme and as a focus in Titus chapter 3. In Titus chapter 1, Paul, by inspiration, he's, he's quoting a secular prophet, poet of, of a Christian society, whereby which Titus was to be left. He said, one of them, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, no morality, evil beast. This has the idea of harmful, dangerous, um, if you will, riotous and slow bellies, and that has the idea of there's no pursuit of moral excellence whatsoever. In some regards, you could look at that as a description adequately of a pagan society. Um, you know, I think about that last phrase, slow bellies, and I'll mention this to you, and I'll go on. I had someone say the other day, said, you know what scares me the most about the times we're in now with inflation and the need for workers? And I said, no, I, I don't know what scares you most of the guy says. He says it means all the retired folks are going to have to come out of retirement and join the workforce so that stuff can get done. And I kind of smirked, but I'll be honest with you, there's, there's an element of truth in that particular thing. And we look at a society, and I'm being very generalistic, but look at a society that's been influenced by paganism, and it is an entitled society. You deserve everything that anybody else has. And the only difference is they should just give it to you. You shouldn't have to work at all. And that would be the bane of any society. And this description of Cretans as slow bellies is certainly apropos with a society that we have today as well. Let me just highlight some of these quickly. I'll read this paragraph just for those of you that got the notes new. It says, we are certainly blessed to live in the U.S., which has a storied Christian influence. Uh, the presence of this influence is widely seen in our foundational foundational documents, political speeches, cities, town, city and town names, and even in our currency where since, I don't know, what is it, the Eisenhower administration, we have in God we trust. Yet as we diagnosed last week, our society looks much different than it did even 30 years ago. Uh, how do believers behave in a society that is pagan? Um, some, some would argue that as Christians we should engage in a culture war, a culture war against the enemy. Obviously, as Christians, we are gravely disappointed to see our country abandon all truth, abandon all truth, and embrace such a foolish worldview. Um, cosmology is the idea there. Our biblical beliefs will always put us in conflict with culture. We ought not neglect the privileges afforded to us by our nation's heritage. However, Fear and anger 
cannot be the prevailing responses of a believer. And I would note, uh, I know I'm speaking about the worldview and the crisis that exists, but that last sentence is applicable for almost any aspect of your life as a believer. Um, the loss of health, fear and anger can't be your chief response. The loss of substance, fear and anger cannot be your chief response. And two passages that I, I, I give you here, and there's only two, but there are, there's only two on the notes, but there are a litany of them in scriptures. But with regards to fear, Second Timothy chapter 1, and what does the scripture tell us? For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of a love and of a sound mind. And a sound mind doesn't mean you hear the voices in your head. Sound has the idea of that which is healthy, that which is right, that which is, I love 1 Timothy chapter 6. He talks about those that consent to the wholesome words. You can almost hear the level of health giving into it. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, talking about uh, trusting the Lord with all thy heart, lean not to the only standing, it shall be health unto thy navel and marrow into thy bones. So God's not given us this, but of a sound mind. And in James 1 and 20, for the wrath of man worketh not, what? The righteousness of God. If we consume our spiritual resources and priorities into making a Christian nation, if we set it the goal in regards to the culture war, if we say what we're going to pursue with all of our being is to be a Christian nation that espouses Christian uh, ethics, actions, etc., the ultimate end will be a distortion, or let me put it in the tense that it's here, we will distort the gospel and biblical identity. Now, I, I'm not trying to suppose that we should just unplug from society and not vote and not engage, or it's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we said as our chiefest ambition that we want to make America this idealistic Christian nation. Well, the problem is, if it's not made up of Christians and you have a Christian nation, you'll look like Europe. And interesting, much of Europe, what much, the over, overwhelming vast majority of Europeans in the Western world would identify as Christians. Most of them do not go to church. I'm reading uh, one of our missionaries of Scotland's prayer letters, and he's, he's talking about how there's just church buildings that are empty all over the place in the U.K., they turn them into bars, and they turn them into nightclubs and everything else. You know why? Because they're a Christian nation. They don't need to go to church. They have no relationship with God. But if you communicate with them, they don't even believe the same gospel, and that's the danger there. And that same aptitude is so prevalent in, in today's culture. What we need to do is follow the Great Commission to go into the world and to preach the gospel. And then all of these other things will be added to it. Uh, I'm very, very cautious today, very concerned. Here in just the last two years, there's a number of churches. There's one in Tennessee, out in the Midwest, out in the Northeast that have been started, and they're basically patriot churches. Anybody familiar with patriot churches? And and so the identity, I'm not really sure what gospel they're preaching, but they're gathered around, and their whole focus has to deal with politics and whatever ilk and era that the government is currently doing. But you won't find that as being the underlining uh, foundation of any New Testament church whatsoever. So there's a danger there of distorting the gospel and biblical identity. We cannot afford to be confused about which kingdom we belong to. 
God's left us with a clear communicated outline of behavior even in a pagan society. Um, when you come to Titus chapter 3, when you come to Titus chapter 3, there are really four principles that he's going to deal with in the first um, few verses of this final chapter. In chapter 1, he deals with the right leadership to need to be had the qualifications of a pastor. Chapter 2, the right behavior, be it as an aged man or aged woman or a young man or a young woman or even as a servant. You come to chapter 3, it's the right behavior that you need to have. And there's four overriding principles, and to each principle is seven imperatives or instructions that are given. And so if you keep that in mind, you'll notice that uh, in the notes that you have, it kind of follows that. Four major points, and each one with seven sub-points. Let me quickly just rehearse the first of them. Number one, the first of these overriding principles on how to thrive or behave in a pagan society. Number one, recognize your position. Recognize your position. And if you want to write parentheses beside it, you might put duty. My responsibility that I have. Well, what is my responsibility? Well, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, as one that has my conversation, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, and that word conversation, the, the, the Greek word there is very interesting. It's by which we get the English word politics. He's talking about your citizenship's in heaven. But guess what? I'm not. So here's my duty, verse number 1 of chapter 3, put them in mind to be subject to principalities, and powers to obey magistrates, to be ready for every good work. And he's going to list here um, seven, seven, you might want to call it, responsibilities that we have. Number one, be subject. Be subject. Tassio, be arranged in order. A lot of times in the scripture, that's, that's what that word tassio is the Greek word, but that word subject means order, structure. It works that way in a church. Order, structures. Works that way in a home. Order, structure. It works that way in society. Order, structure. And so, be subject. Be subject. Um, second one, right there in verse 1, obey magistrates. Yield, comply. If their commands or demands do not reduce or impact your ability to worship God and obey his leading, then you need to comply to those reasonable requests. Um, I think of Proverbs chapter 8. Um, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, he said, is to hate every evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. That word forward's interesting. It's not forward. It's forward. It's spelled differently than forward. And it means unwilling to comply to that which is reasonable. Now, I should put a little side note in here that when Paul's writing this, you have empirical decrees that could be whimsical. I don't think there's anyone here that's ever lived under a dictatorial, um, genuine-type monarchy that has all of the power vested in one individual where that one individual acts as the legislature and the judicial and executive branch and says, thou are going to do this. But because he's also king or she's king, Tuesday she can change the rule or he can change the rule again. But Paul did. When he's writing this, he's talking about the whimsicality of emperors too. One day you're going to do this, and the next day you're going to do this. 
if I never have anything to be thankful for my country, I am thankful for how it is structured. You know, it's very difficult, as we've seen in the last many, many years, to dramatically impact a society through the legislative arm of the federal government. It's quite difficult. When I'm saying it's impossible, it's quite difficult. So when genuine laws are passed, be subject to them. Be subject to them. Number three says be ready for good work. Be ready for good work. And there's a number of things that we spoke about on this, so I just need to keep moving or we'll just reteach the lesson. Uh, speak evil of no man. Don't be a blasphemer. Don't be speaking evil. Uh, I taught, I remember first, first semester I was teaching, and I was teaching high school government civics economics once. And um, one of the children was raised in a very politically conservative home. And when, when it got to the point about the presidents, they, they used a name for the president. Now, it was not a swear word, but the, it's kind of like a joke of a name. I don't remember what exactly it was. And the uh, teacher under, under which I was studying there, sitting to the side, he stopped a whole class. And he stood up and he said, you know, that might be what your dad refers to the president as. But in this class, we're going to refer to him as president so-and-so. And the biblical reasoning was right there in the text. Speak no evil of no man. That's an important thing to consider. I'll go on. Number, what are we at? Number five, not a brawler. Stir of strife. Provocure. Provocure, if you will. Be gentle. And finally, show meekness, level of humility, if you will. Let's look at the next one. So the first one there, we're going to recognize the position. The second thing that's important is you're in a pagan society. This would be overarching in so many ways. That is to remember your prior state. Remember your prior state. Remember what you were. Your ability to think, to reason, to, to put on the lenses of the, of the word of God and to look at society, to make decisions, you didn't always have this. There was a time past when you were different than what you are now. And that's important in so many ways. It's important when you've got folks that just know one thing when they walk into a church that they're saved. It's important that you realize that where you're at right now has been the work of grace of God in your life. It has been the process of sanctification. Now, some of us might have gotten saved relatively young in life or had the blessed benefit of growing up in a home that uh, espoused biblical values. And so early in life, you were given access to a biblical worldview maybe before you ever made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And that salvation spared you or could have spared you from a number of things in life. However, that's not the case for everybody. There are some people that just surrendered their citizenship from the kingdom of darkness and just received the marvelous salvation of Jesus Christ, and they don't have the same time invested in the study and the work of the Holy Spirit of God in sanctification. So Paul says, as you're dealing with a pagan society, remember your prior state. Notice, if you will, in verse number three, he's going to highlight seven, let's call them vices, seven vices that were espoused. Verse number three, he said, for we ourselves also were sometimes, and that's a reference to in time past, not sometimes we were and sometimes we weren't, but it's a reference to in that past time, some time ago even, we were in these states. Here's the seven vices. He said, number one, 
we were foolish. Foolish. You can maybe mark foolish, put you a line out beside it, and you can put this. No knowledge. No knowledge. It's so interesting, as we've been studying through prayer on Sunday mornings and such, to look at how often the prayers in the New Testament, particularly with the Apostle Paul, deal with the child of God that they might know something. And it's usually related to a deep knowledge of the things of God. Why? Because it impacts you and it causes you to surrender to the yielding of the Holy Spirit of God and be changed, or if you prefer the biblical terminology, conform to his image. That was a time past where you didn't know anything about God. What you knew about God wasn't the same thing as biblical truth. Because of such, notice the second one, what were you? You were, I know all the notes here are in the scriptures. All the sub points are right there. You were disobedient. Why? Because what you knew about God, you didn't obey. And then there was a whole host of things that you just didn't know. And because that guided you, you made decisions in which you were rebellious against the command of God. That word disobedient, it, it, a synonym of it, if you will, it has the idea of unpersuadable. The Proverbs talks about the fool is uh, wiser in his folly than seven men that can render reason. You take seven esteemed sages and you take one foolish person and then give all the reasons why this person's being foolish and that, no, I don't need any of that. That's the idea here. There was a time passed in your life. You're unpersuadable regarding what God wanted and what pleased God. Number three, because of your disobedience, because of your foolishness, what's the third one? You're deceived. Here's the idea. Straying from truth. Roaming after truth. Trying every fantasy and fallacy available. You know, I marvel at the scriptures in Ephesians. Um... I think it's chapter 3. No, 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 chapter 4. That, this is the admonition to believers, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed how? To and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, but by the wait and lay, lie in wait to deceive. If that's the ability that a Christian can have, if, if I can be a simpleton in regards to the truths of the word of God and be blown about and carried about by everyone to doctrine. What about the lost world that has not the indwelling of the spirit of God? Absolutely. By the way, in this pagan society, is not the reality that every person that is an unbeliever is an all-in pagan. But many of them are influenced by the culture of the day. They look back on how things happened 50 years ago and they say, well, you know, maybe my parents' generation or my grandparents' generation, maybe they mishandled some things. Well, that's always the case. But because somebody mishandled something does not mean the same thing that you need to reinvent the wheel. You just need to make a patch on the wheel, maybe, if you want to look at it that sense. So they've come to this society and what they're being bombarded with in social media. Did you know 50% of Americans get their news off of social media? And the number one of it is Twitter. Over 50% of Americans, 
That's crazy to think of. Bombarded with this stuff. Bombarded television. Bombarded with advertisements and everything else. You know, it's amazing to me to sit down, and I was watching a ball game the other day, and I'll be, if, if the commercials that come on deal with treatment for AIDS. That's, that's one of the commercials that came on. And I'm taken back by this. AIDS have been around all my life. But it was always something whispered in the closet because of the word A in AIDS, which is acquired immune deficiency. It dealt with a godless, immoral life. And right now it's just a shame. And then it ends with two men kissing each other. Now listen, if you're foolish, if you've not embraced the words of God, if you don't have a, beautiful, a, a, a biblical worldview, can you imagine just being constantly bombarded with this? acceptance and normality and tolerance being preached across this country and sadly even out of a lot of pulpits you'd be deceived and Paul's admonishing remember there was that time where you were deceived number four serving divers lust and pleasures the word lust there it means your longings. There are literally dozens of lusts throughout the scriptures that can be made. Um, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, it talks about um, set your affections on things above and not on things below. Um, I'm going to read you the passage here, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affections, um, that has the idea of pathos. It's the things that you so suffer for in life. Evil concupiscence, usually in a sensual manner. Covetousness, greed, if you will, which is idolatry. There's any number of lust in the scriptures, but you look at a world society, what do they want? Whatever their heart wants. Not only that longing, but the second part is serving divers' lust and pleasures. You write in your Bible, you write beside that word, the word hedonism. It is so true. The, the more I study the scriptures, the more of the effort, uh, the more I find the truth revealed. For instance, Solomon wrote this, there's no new thing under the sun. That's an amazing concept to behold. You know what hedonism is? Hedonism is the ancient Greek philosophy. It probably was, it was certainly around before the Greeks, but they publicized it and made it well known so that our side looks at it. But it is the idea that life in its fullness can be had by the pursuit of pleasures. You know, that's one of the marks of the last days, isn't it? Men shall be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of no wonder it's a danger when churches begin to embrace seeker-sensitive mentality instead of saving. What are you doing? Well, we've got to make the church more pleasurable. Now, I understand I've sent in some messages that weren't pleasurable to my heart. Have you? you ever done that before? Yes. But when I come into the house of God, this ought to be a sensible place for me to realize this is where I worship the Almighty God. And that's where I fear and tremble before him. Distinction of our society serving divers' lust and pleasures. What number are we on? Number five, 
Look at this text. Living in what? Malice is a hard word. Malice is this deep-seated, vengeful anger. You know, that's where our society is driving in politics today. Just a deep-seated, bitter hatred. This is a work of the flesh. It's one of the sins that grieves the Almighty God, Ephesians chapter 4. He talks about laying aside, um, where for, how, how does that verse go? Ephesians chapter 4, verse or something, uh, 31. This is one of the first, ver- my dad used to make us memorize all these, and I haven't quoted enough. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Our society's greatly in love with malice. Just a hate. You know, I look at our, our binary political system, you know, conservative liberals, if you will. And in some corners, if you say anything positive about a Democratic president, and the other way works the same as well. Be careful about that. I, I, that shouldn't be part of our... We, we can speak the truth. We can be honest but we can't have malice in our heart and life and expect to please God. Prior to our salvation, we lived in malice. Notice number six, envying. Envying. What's that? Wanting what everyone else has. Again, a work of the fruit of the flesh. That's where we were. Prior to your salvation, this is what we live for. We set our eyes on the American dream. Invariably, the American dream has changed from what it, what it used to be. You know, there's a time you look back, and it was a house with a white picket fence, and the white picket fences have now fallen out of favor, and they've been given better to some, some other kind of fence, you know. And the houses are no longer the same. They're bigger, and they're longer, and they've got more technology in them. And, uh, you know, it used to be, what was it, two children and a cat and a dog, and now it's 14 cats and no children. You know, the American dream has changed. Instead of fueling up your car, you electrify your car. That's what our society lives for. They've set their focus on what they want by looking over here at what everybody else has and making that the God of their life. Well, such were we, weren't we, at one time? I remember just for my salvation, I was about 15, 16 years old, and people in church, they'd ask you because, you know, you've got a year or two of high school left, and they would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know what my answer invariably was? want to make money that's what it was i want a pursuit of riches it took years to realize something you'll never get them you'll die trying read old proverb once not in the scriptures but about a fellow and the story was said here in pennsylvania it's not a true story but it's a proverb a maxim if you prefer and talked about this fellow who had made a deal with the native Indians that he could have as much land for the gold that, or the money or whatever he had given them. He could have as much land as he could run in daylight. And so the day came and the chief stood there and he said, the only key is you've got to be back here before the sun sets. 
And any land you run, like in a circle, you can have all that land within that in one day's run. So the fellow started out. And I mean, he ran and he ran. And it wasn't a straight line because over here he'd see a creek and he'd say, man, I need that creek so that I can have this. And he'd circle part of that creek. And then over here, and I need this hill because it's got minerals. And each time, man, he's further and further and he's getting out there and he's running just as hard as he can. And his whole body aches and he's fatigued, but he keeps pressing on because if he doesn't get back before sunset, he don't get any of the land. And he circles around again and over here and over there. And the sun is going down and he is running and he can see the chief. And just when he gets to the line, he collapses dead. And the chief makes this statement. Hmm. He got just the amount of land that everybody needs. Enough to be buried in. Now that's a simple maxim in life. That's where a lot of people are. They're going to run just like that crazy man. Over hill, over dell, over there, over here. And at the end of the life, they'll always fall short. For richeth doth make wings and do what? Fly away. Envying. Remember your prior state in the last one of this. You were hateful and hating one another. You want to see the marked distinction? Look in verse 4. But after that, the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, towards man appeared. My, how that had such a demonstrously distinctive change in my life. He saved me. If I could look into the mirror as I can in the word of God and see myself as God saw me, I would not have died for me. For scarcely... For a good man, some will dare to die. If I could have God's perspective of me, I would not have died for me. I was the enemy of God. I was a sinner. I was a blasphemer. I followed divers' lust and pleasures. The thought of God was not in my mind at all. But thank God, he commended his love towards us. And that while I'm a yet a sinner, what did Christ do? He saved me from the wrath of the holy God. My faith in his marvelous grace changed me. And Titus is saying when you look at the pagan society around you, Titus, Paul's saying it through inspiration, when you look at it, remember your responsibilities. Remember your duty. Remember the position you are. You are not a citizen of this world. You are rather an ambassador. Your citizenship is in heaven. Keep that in the forefront of your mind. It's important how you behave yourself here civically and neighborly. It's important to do that. Why? Because in your past, you were lost and in sin. And if you're going to recognize your peculiarity, I'm getting ahead of myself and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to have to live the gospel of Jesus Christ as well. So remember your prior state. And number three, we'll pick up on next week. Realize your peculiarity. Salvation. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 
Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.